Welcome to the T2 Hubcast. Join Martin, Dave, Spencer and guests as they discuss all things personal and professional development. The T2 Hubcast, brought to you by the People Performance People. So welcome to the T2 Hubcast with me, Martin Johnson. And me, Spencer Locker. Spence, second uh, hubcast on following on from our last one on microaggressions. Yeah. Um, we wanted to jump straight back on, didn't we? And while it was fresh in our memory, we've just recorded the first one, which if you've listened to them chronologically, you will have listened to by now. If you haven't, jump off this one and jump <laughs> on part one. Otherwise, this won't make sense. But um, we talked for about half an hour on microaggressions and uh, introduced what they are primarily from a from a prejudicial perspective uh, in terms of the little things you can say in the form of a microaggression around race, sex, age, gender, et cetera, which can cause conflict and cause problems and it can be received in a counterproductive way. We then also talked about microaggressions in the workplace, so the non-prejudicial ones, if you like, where you're just disagreeing with somebody else's point of view or you don't have the same views on that project or maybe you would, you know, you want to make a different decision than somebody else. Uh, and we talked about the little turns of phrase, Spence, that would really constitute a microaggression from with the best will in the world and you're not going to like what I'm about to say, but and can I just challenge that? And all these little forms of microaggressive language, which just always result in a counterproductive uh, you know, communication or collaboration between two people. And then right at the end, we got to 30 minutes and it was like, have you got anything else to say, Spence? You've got 60 seconds. And you went, well, I have, but not in 60 seconds. (laughs) So we wanted to jump back on because I think it's important to maybe link this now to just a few other areas, really. So what's firstly on your mind, Spence, uh, following on from the first? First thing on my mind, um, I think it just seems to be something that I tend to bang my drum about uh, quite often. And, And I hope it's not boring or anything like that, but it's basically social media and society. Um, I, I mean, I don't know about you, Martin. I suspect you'll agree with me. But um, during this COVID situation we've been in, um, the information that we gain has come from a number of different places. So you've got the the, the news, whether whatever news channel you choose to watch, whether it's TV or radio. Uh, but mostly, it's been internet. Uh, and when you go on the internet nowadays, whether you're using Twitter or Facebook or um, Instagram or a mixture of all three or, or whatever, um, you're bombarded with uh, information that some of it is good, some of it isn't so good, some of it is accurate, some of it is not so accurate. Um, you, when we start talking about microaggressions, we're talking about bias, unconscious bias, conscious bias, prejudice and things like that. Uh, we can see on the world stage now um, there are certain people who will say what they want to say, and if somebody says something different, that's false news, mm. uh, or it's dismissed totally out of hand, or, or whatever. And and we find that, particularly on Twitter, I, I, this is what I found: Twitter um, is very binary, in the sense that somebody will say something, uh, and then somebody will come straight along and disagree with it totally. Uh, and we find in that um, as a communication, as a medium for communication, the internet uh, isn't really great. Um, we find in that people are very binary uh, in, in in their opinions. So let me just come in there, Spence, because yeah. you just said something that proper stoked something, which I think is fascinating. 
But I didn't want to interrupt you, given what you said on the first podcast. <laughs> so, so, um, so you said the internet isn't great for communication. So I know what you mean by that, but this yeah. is my view of it. I think the internet is fabulous for communication in, in terms of the way it allows us to communicate yeah. across the globe in real time with almost anybody or the masses, right? The problem with it is because it's great for communication, because you can reach multiple people at the click of a button any second of any day with their device in their pocket, etc. It becomes, it's a great way to communicate, but it's also a great way to communicate dangerously. Mis- miscommunicate, yeah. 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 So so it's like the greatest asset and innovation we've ever produced on planet Earth, arguably, hmm. but the one that then now is completely changing a, a whole generation. It's con- it's it's change it's changing the world. Yes, and and um and part of that change is it's giving a platform as much as for all that it gives you a platform to run a business, to make money, to thrive, to reach family members who live in far dist- far reaching areas. You know, to FaceTime your grandchildren. You know, through COVID, all the wonderful things it gives us. It's given us all of the awful things as well. Yeah. And I think that, that, that both those examples have come to the fore in the last six months. Yeah. So from a technological perspective, it's a wonderful tool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it's a wonderful tool that has been used by other wonderful tools. <laughs> so what, what oh. we're saying, well, I'm, I'm saying basically um, we've got situations where uh, you've got technology when it's used responsibly by people who are, know what they're doing and they're, and they're you know, yeah. then it, and it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, great stuff. Unfortunately, because it's open to everybody. Um, and right, I'm not making any judgments here. I'm not making any judgments at all. But what I'm saying is when people make a statement, you've got people saying, this is what I think. And there you go. I don't care what you think about it. At the other end of the scale, you've got somebody who's reading it and goes, I'm offended by that, blah, 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 blah. And then you've got 24 to 48, whatever, tweets afterwards, either agreeing with the instigator or agreeing with the responder, and there's nothing in the middle. And that's where polarization comes yes, from. Yeah. And, and, and you think about all the things that have polarized us from politics to religion to uh, COVID, now, even anything, anything that happens now. It instantly results in polarization. Yeah. Through because of the the uh, the platform and that you've just described, um, and, and I don't think yes, we've always had opinions for years. So you could say, well, going back millions, you know, hundreds of years, you know, and and through prior to the First World War and Second World War, we never had the, the internet, but we were still polarized in view. Yeah, you can say that, but the impact, um, the ability, the accessibility to be able to be polarized on such a global scale with like a, a frenzy, like you say, a frenzy on social media around opinion. Hmm. It's never been what it ha- like it has today. Yeah. Uh, and that's why we seem to suffer more from it from it today. But linking it back into microaggressions and your point being is that I think what you're saying here, Spence, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. He, he, bloody, <laughs> he bloody will, right? Um, but I think what you're saying is... Does it always have to be that you are the offender or the offended? No, it doesn't, right? How many of us can actually 
find that ground where you go, well, do you know what? I think this, this is my view, and I've arrived at that view from this journey. This person clearly thinks this. Why do they think that? Let me explore that a little bit more. Let me at least acknowledge it and show an understanding and appreciation for it. Um, rather than become incredibly combative where you've got to fight it head on, right? And I think uh, that's what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think it's exactly that's exactly what I'm saying. Is uh, it links straight back to what you were saying uh, in the previous podcast about taking responsibility and accountability about how you interpret as a receiver, yeah. as much as as the instigator of a message or a microaggression. When you're, if it doesn't align perfectly with your view, your worldview, you don't have to be offended by it. It yeah. doesn't have to push you out your tree. Yeah. I've made huge strides myself personally on this, Spence, probably in the last five years. I think I think in younger days, I was incredibly, um, incredibly certain of my views and opinions and um, wouldn't have a problem in debating. And I think that's the words I would use. I would debate um, with people about stuff. Whereas I think discussing uh, uh, something with somebody... It is a completely different, has a different connotation in the fact that whether I, whoever I vote for in the general election or whether I voted Brexit or Remain or whether I believe uh, that the government have handled COVID well or not, right? Whatever side of the fence I sit on, I think I'm really, really conscious and mindful these days that everybody else has, uh, has come to their conclusion and that's okay. Mm. And I can't judge that, right? And I, and I can't, regardless of where my position is, it's not my job and my endeavor to set out on a journey to disprove them yeah it's just not no and you don't have it's not a case of if i shout louder and get more aggressive they're going to change <laughs> yeah it doesn't you it's know. the opposite we yeah. know it's the opposite when yeah. you when you rise up and you meet someone head on you're only um exaggerating their current position they will meet you head on back and you and you know we always talk about social media and Facebook being one of the revolutionary things, but it's also one of the most dangerous things because it's got very clever algorithms that pick up on your predisposed positions. You know, all your likes, all your shares. You know, if you're a person who continues to share liberal, socialist, labor type posts, then guess what Facebook's going to feed you on your timeline? Mm. It's going to feed you all of the stuff that reinforces that opinion and position. Just on the contrary, if you're slightly more right-wing or conservative in your views and you've liked and shared a lot of stuff, Facebook will feed you all the stuff that's going to reinforce that narrative, mm. you know, and, yeah. and, and therefore that's where polarization comes from because your opinions get deeper, deep, more deep rooted and stronger rather than us challenging the hell out of them. Yeah. Or at least questioning them, you know? Yeah. I think a, a prime example was the Brexit situation. I think um, watching, looking at social media, uh, I really, I either saw people who were fully on for Brexit or fully against Brexit. Yeah. But I'm just thinking to myself, the amount of people I know, intelligent and considerate people who would in real life turn around and say, you know what? I can see both sides of the argument, really. And maybe, maybe if we came up for a compromise, but no. I never saw anybody saying stuff like that on, on social media. It was either that way or that way. Well, I don't mind admitting in the whole Brexit uh, scenario, I was incredibly unsure for months. You know, I, in one sense, I'm 
a businessman with a with a company and employees and customers, and I'm thinking about the impact of a of a of a Brexit or a remain on the business and on trade and on the economy. On the other side, on the other sense, I'm trying to think of my kids' future and the land and the world that they live in and the opportunity that they may or may not have. So you've got both this like a uh, logical type brain trying to make a decision based on on logic, and you've got your emotional. Uh, brain trying to make a decision for the future of your kids and grandkids right I was incredibly unsure I don't mind admitting and I, I tried my hardest throughout the whole process to try and find out as much as I could about the impact of what both meant and even until the day I stu stood in the ballot box um that's what they call them in here mm, ballot box yeah. I stood in the ballot box and I and I grabbed my pencil and I thought I knew what I was gonna do and even in that moment I can't ever tell you that I was a hundred percent behind either I just wasn't, and it's the same in the in the uh, in the election. But you know, not everybody's like that. I think in your in your to your point, the majority of people were well polarized, and and what they did from day one is once you'd picked the side of the fence, it's like I am gonna I'm gonna do everything I can to reinforce and justify my perspective, and almost go above and beyond to you know to dispel other people's views. That's where the problem lies. And I think bringing it back to the point of microaggressions, you know, certainly in organisations, I mean, we've talked a lot about social media and we've talked about, you know, Brexit and we've talked about stuff like that. But in organisations, this happens as well. You know, it, it happens where you start to create silos. You know, one department thinks the organisation should be doing X. One group think they should be doing Y that polarization starts to happen and then everything that happens in the business thereafter is either going to reinforce one side or dispel the other side. And mm. then you've got this dynamic going on where there's constant microaggressions. And that's where I think poor cultures probably come from. It's where threat state organizations come from. We talk about threat state, mm. people trying to, uh, the fear of consequence, the fear of what might happen if X happens and i think that then fuels all the stuff we're talking about without a shadow of a doubt and if you get a personality in that situation who uh, that, in, uh, that um is somewhere in the um the the sort of the dark triad sort of a sort of uh when i say that i don't necessarily mean psychopaths but narcissists or machiavellians yeah um uh, getting into a into a situation like that that's just that's that's gold dust for them yeah because they recruit yeah so what Spencer's talking about in psychology is the dark triad of, of um, psychological disorders, really, which is psychopaths, narcissists, and Machiavellians. And, um, you know, they have slightly different ways of operating in, in, in society. I mean, the psychopath has, a, has a, probably a, a, big different, a big difference in the way they operate. But assuming that, and by the way, when we talk about psychopaths, there's a great book on this called Snakes in Suits. And it absolutely talks about the fact that when you do a psychopath test, there is a psychopath test. I forget what it's called now. But it's been around for years. But you score on a sliding scale. So you're not like 100% psychopath or 100% not. It's like anything in psychology. It's a spectrum. Mm. So you could answer these questions and you could come out 50% psychopath, but be relatively normal and operate without murdering anybody in society. <laughs> no, this yeah. is the truth. So what they're saying is... There's a lot of CEOs out there, a lot of directors, a lot of successful people in businesses that are probably 50% psychopathic because they carry all the characteristics of a psychopath, charm, right? Great in social circles, can read people really, really well, 
really good communicators. You know, all of these things that actually lures people into their way of thinking, they just do it without the complete, you know, hmm. uh, they've got they've got some uh, type of, what's the word, um, fear of consequence. And they, have so, and they have a level of empathy for others. It's not completely psychopathic. Um, but you're right, those type of characters in an organization are, are the ones who recruit. So the theory is the more I rec- the more people I can recruit to my way of thinking, the more likely, more chance I've got of getting my way. Hmm? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it exists all around us. And this comes back to my point, right? Human inter- gen- natural human interaction has to play out. We can't create a society or a workplace where nobody's allowed to say anything. No one can have an opinion on everything. Everybody's offended, right? We've got to allow human interaction to play out got to be mindful of all the stuff we're talking about. And if you're half emotionally intelligent or you've got some awareness, then you buy into some of this stuff, 100%. But you're absolutely right. I think we're at a pivotal point, a critical point in 2020. And the next 20 years is going to be interesting because where are we going with it? And how polarized do we have to get before something's got to give? Well, that's the thing is... um... We're all poor. We can we can be very polarized on on social media and communicating online, uh, but that's starting to be. We, we are in a world now where people are coming into the world of work who have never known a world without the internet. Mm. So um, rather than the internet, the virtual world reflecting the real world, we're now getting to the point where the real world is starting to reflect the virtual world. And if that's the case, if we are going to be um, polarized and we're going to communicate in the real world that way, there's an awful lot of people going to get punched in the mouth. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, the, it's the consequence. I mean, I know there's the safety of the, the keyboard warrior and all that, but what I'm saying is, you, if if you're if you are so convinced about your point of view and the way that you your worldview and and you just go through the through the world of work, um, communicating with people in the sense that this is what I believe and if you're with me, great. If you're not with me, then you're against me, and yeah. I don't care. Whereas there's other people at the other end of the spectrum saying I'm offended by the merest small little. You know what? You you said there was 150 genders when actually there's 172 genders. And that offends me because you don't know that. You know what I mean? We've yeah. got to find that middle ground. We've got to find that, as you said, listen to understand rather than listen to reply. Yeah. And, and I think coming on to the back, and this is why it's such a great area, and a lot of organisations at the moment are coming to us, Spencer, and they're asking for, for things on diversity and inclusion. And it is a specialist area, but it's an area which is very grey as well, and there isn't it isn't finite at the minute. And and what I mean by that is, I can see both sides of the fence. I can see how we've got to be mindful um, of the of the things that can be perceived as prejudice. Right, we've got to be mindful of that, and it can't just be saying, "Oh, when I grew up, you, you this when this." Yeah, the world's changed. And, and rightly so, right? The world is ch- and it's not finished changing, right? So we have to, we, 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 we can't just say to people, stop being offended at everything. That's my first point. I, I absolutely mm. get yeah. the fact that in modern times, we're changing and changing for the better and we should be changing. But to, to, the, to the other point, it, where does it stop, right? Mm. Because also there's got to be an appreciation that human interaction has to play out. 
So we've got to have that accountability to rationalize and compartmentalize certain things where we go, do you know what? In that meeting this moment, so-and-so said that, and I am right now perceiving that as X. However, I've worked with this person for five years. We've never had this before. We've always had a really good relationship. I know them pretty well. They wouldn't have meant it in that way. So let me, before I draw a conclusion that that was prejudice, right, or that was that was th that was threatening to me, l let me put that to one side, or let me speak to them about it, or let me just try and understand why it was said or what was said. Right? There's got to be an element of that as well. Mm, yeah, and and that's that's where we're summarising it. I think in these two podcasts, it's like you can't. The, this one side doesn't have the right to say the world's full of snowflakes and everybody needs to stop get, getting offended. Mm. But on the other side, you know, we have to have an understanding that people have opinions and we have to have some personal accountability for the fact that there's 7 billion people on this planet and we're going to interact in our lifetime with tens, if not hundreds of thousands of them. We cannot be offended by everything. We've got to navigate life we yeah. have got to interact with human beings we've got to try and rationalize stuff we've got to you know and if lines are crossed lines are crossed and you stand up for yourself and you mm. and you make things known um and hopefully that's the only way that's the only way we're going to get through it all spence mm. when as a general population we can try our hardest wherever we sit to find the middle ground or at least find some nearer ground yes yeah <laughs> you know it doesn't have to be the middle mm. let's try and find some nearer ground and i think uh Microaggressions are an ex a prime example of that. You could, if you if you found yourself remotely saying any of the things that we've said on these two podcasts, mm. which we all have, because it's just in us, it's in our DNA, it's evolution, right? If you find yourself saying them, just maybe challenge it. Just challenge yeah. it. Yeah. You know. Any final thoughts on this, Spence? No, I think uh, I think we've um, we've taken that all awesome, ridden it. Absolutely. So that's part one and part two of microaggressions in the workplace. Yes, microaggressions are traditionally associated with prejudice uh, and the little things we say that you think are harmless and not intentionally meant, but can have far-reaching repercussions on, on the recipient. But we've also talked about it doesn't always have to be about prejudice. It can be microaggression in the form of, I just don't agree with you. You're wrong and I'm right. And therefore, I'm going to say things like, with all due respect, and you're not going to like what I'm about <laughs> to say. And, you know, yeah. just a final one, an interesting one. It, it, it was like where ban banter is an interesting word. Many organizations have banned the word banter or because they don't like it and they think that one person's banter is another person's, you know, misfortune. And um, we were talking this morning about little forms of banter, which to certain people, it's like, great it's part of the workplace we, we we have that relationship but to others it could be secretly niggling away at them like when i said you'd been at home for four mm. weeks with a cabana but what about when the person walks in the office like late? in fact this happened to me this morning so i everybody's in this morning i'm not exactly coming late because we a we don't have strict working hours and b i'm the bloody boss right so <laughs> anyway i walks in this morning and dave goes here he is whilst looking at his watch <laughs> right so it's like Already, I just laugh because yeah. we were thinking, but that's the type of thing where someone can go, does someone think I'm slacking? Yeah. I mean, and then and then you start going in your own mind. But it was all right, you know, last week when I worked till seven o'clock at night and everybody, when I was doing that conference call and everybody went home early <laughs> and, 
And all of a sudden, it's turning into a yeah. bit of a problem, isn't it? Yeah, Just yeah. because someone's gone, or they've gone, afternoon. <laughs> you know, you're walking yeah. at 10 past nine, afternoon. You know, <laughs> someone slept in. You know, all these little things. Yeah. And, they, and this is like, this is like workplace. This is common in the workplace. Yeah. Right? But you can see how in somebody, it can start off as a joke and then it chips away at them, which means the next comment becomes worse. Yeah. Which means the next comment and then it starts to become a pattern and then one person flips. Yeah. And it's not the isolated event at the end. That's the problem. It was the microaggressions running or the banter, as some mm. people would call it, running up to that point. Yeah. And, and you could probably think of a million examples of where that goes <laughs> on. Certainly in very traditional industries like construction, manufacturing, you know, mm. all of these industries where it has banter has been part of the fabric, the culture of the organization for the best part of 50 years. Yeah. So, it, and again, for me, Spence, that's about human interaction playing out. You can't go to a construction company and say, right, lads, no banter, corporate rule. You just can't do it. So we've got to use common sense and we've got to mm. navigate this situation best we can. Yeah. Awesome. Spencer, another half an hour down. Um, so that's part one and part two done. Uh, I think we'll get Lydia to maybe follow up and write something on the hub on this and keep it going because I think it's yeah. an interesting topic. Awesome, cool. mate. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And we'll be back shortly with another T2 Hubcast.